Jonah chapter 4. This is the last sermon we'll be on having on Jonah. My parents are visiting here this evening, and they were here for the first evening when I preached my introductory sermon in Jonah 18 months ago. And for those of you who haven't been here and are visiting, it's been an 18 months in-depth, deep dive into the book of Jonah. Clause by clause. No, it's been cancer. Um, but the Lord has given me the grace after 18 months to finally finish this, this book, which has had a big impact on my own life through this time. And once again, I, I was amazed as I was participating in the worship service this morning. Pastor Moker and I do not coordinate, and yet we're going to be referencing some of the same passages in Romans. What we read in the Westminster Confession certainly would fit here tonight. This is the illustration to the truth of this morning's sermon. I love how the Spirit works that sometimes. So let us read Jonah chapter 4. As Jonah's responding to God's mercy to Nineveh. This is God's word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, we pray that our hearts would burn. We would be filled with joy, filled with awe as we see you, our God, in action, and your compassion reaching out. Would we be people who are changed tonight as we come and interact and experience your mercy towards us and also to Jonah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said last week, this is the passage where it all comes out. The mysterious disobedience earlier, Jonah's veiled hints at his motivation, they're all on display. And last time, we saw the first four verses, you got a taste of Jonah's sour grace. And it wasn't pleasant. 
Right, here's how it went. Jonah went to Nineveh to preach against its evil. That word in the Hebrew is ra, can mean evil, distress, calamity, disaster. Nineveh turned from their evil at Jonah's preaching. And the Lord relented of his disaster, same word, that he promised. And then in verse 1, it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and it burned him. He says, this is why I disobeyed. This is why I didn't go. I knew you would have mercy on those Ninevites. And there's that, that theatrical death wish. I want to die. So he goes out and he camps outside the city praying for its destruction. So let me ask you a dangerous question. What would you do here if you were God? If you were an all-powerful and holy God, how might you respond to a prophet who is constantly disobeying, who is grumbling, kicking at every turn, finally an outright tantrum where Jonah questions and has the gall to tell you who to have mercy. You know, you want to die, Jonah? I can arrange that for you. <laughs> yeah, that might be how you're thinking. Of course, we don't have the mind of God. He could have done that. It would have been within his right to do so. And yet he doesn't. And here's the beauty of your God. He offers his stubborn, grumbling, disobedient prophet the same mercy that he extended to Nineveh. Jonah is full of sour grace. He's bitter that God is giving his grace to others. And in response, God extends to him sweet mercy. And tonight I want you to see, I want you to see the Lord's mercy to Jonah and to you. And to realize that you serve a God who is slow to anger. Now, last time we summarized saying Jonah's response to God's compassion was evil. But here we see God's response to Jonah's evil is compassion. How does the Lord show compassion to Jonah? Well, it's again a little bit of tough love. There's an object lesson. Now, Jonah builds this booth to camp outside the city and he seeks shade, but it's, it's pretty ineffective from the sun. Now, now, Mulkers, you'll have to tell me, you know, what it was like in South California. But I can tell you here in South Jersey, the sun can get pretty intense. You know, it's, it gets hot and humid. And if you go for a five mile walk without any shade in this, the hottest day in South Jersey, you will feel it. You really will. Uh, but I'll tell you this. South Jersey sun doesn't hold a candle to Middle Eastern sun. I, I speak from experience. I've been there in the summer and it's no joke. Kuwait, you're, you're constantly getting into the 120s. You can top out in the 130s. Now, Jonah's a little bit north of there, but it could still get pretty hot. I was actually stationed pretty close to where Jonah was in Nineveh. Well, let's look at uh, verse 6 again. And I want you to notice a few things here. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. It says, the Lord God, Yahweh, again, here's the covenant name again, reminding us that the God who has a special relationship with, with Jonah and his people, even as Jonah is venting in his tantrum, he says, oh, Lord God, he's calling back to the God of the covenant. So it's the Lord God who appoints this plant. Maybe it's a castor oil plant, something that grows quickly, has big leaves, and it's providing extra shade. And the vine delivers Jonah from his discomfort, his Ra, word, often means evil. And how does Jonah respond? Well, he's exceedingly glad. Literally, Jonah rejoiced with a great joy because of the vine. 
Does that sound like something similar and opposite to what you've heard earlier, perhaps in verse 1? But God is not done. Right? In verse 7, he appoints a worm that attacks the plant, and then the sun rises, and there is a scorching east wind. As I said, I, I had been deployed just, a, just below where Nineveh used to be. And, and what happens in Iraq is that there's no sand there. Sand is further down in the deserts of Kuwait or in the border of some, some southern Iraq. But, but the, the dirt gets drier and drier until it becomes this very, very fine dust, and it might as well be sand. And as the wind comes, it picks it up. And, and you can be walking down the road, and you will just see this wall of brown coming towards you. And I have been out exposed in those. And if you have no place to hide, the only thing you can do is this. And you just get like these little pelts and clumps of rock and rubble. It's not a fun experience. And can you imagine, you know, the kind of the powdered donut effect as Jonah's all hot and sweaty and, and this dirt and wind is coming. It is not fun. And once again, Jonah wants to die. I'm done. God questions Jonah a second time. Do you have a right to be angry about the plant? And now he is spitting mad. He's been shipwrecked, swallowed by a whale, forced to travel a long distance, preached to a hated city, now scorched by the elements. Never mind, most of that was his own doing. Yes, I have a right to be angry, angry enough to die. Now here's, what's the object lesson? Well, the punchline. Verse 10, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor and you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons. Jonah, the Lord's saying, your vine grew up in one day. Just one day. And you weep over its loss. And it saved you from your evil, your discomfort, but you did nothing to grow it. And yet you're distressed over its loss. Now Nineveh is a great city with many people, and it's grown up over many years. Should I not be concerned about it? To deliver it from its evil? People who are helpless to change, right? The, the not knowing the right hand from the left. Um, there's two ideas in this object lesson, the Lord's reasoning with Jonah. The first is to teach Jonah that you cannot tame God. There's some rich wordplay in verses 10 and 11. The pronouns kind of act like caps. In the Hebrew language, you don't actually need personal pronouns, I, you, we. You can just use a verb that has an ending that tells you that. So if you use the pronoun and then the verb, it's kind of like writing in caps or bold. It's bringing it out. It's emphasizing it. And so the you and the I are both emphasized. Jonah, you pitied the plant. Should not I pity Nineveh? It's a good translation by the, EIV, the ESV. It uses the same word, pity, there. And, and this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. The Lord's giving Jonah a, kind of a picture of his mercy. Jonah, if, if you're consider, concerned about this, this little plant, should I not be concerned about all these people? But the Lord is also putting Jonah in his place. Jonah, I'm the one in charge. You can't dictate my mercy. You know, throughout the book, God is shown to be sovereign here. Kids, what, what, is, what is sovereign? You know, we use that word sometimes. It, it has to do with rule or reigning, someone who's in control or in charge. And, and God is the one throughout the book who is in charge. He, the word is a point, right? God brings about a storm and a fish to bring back his fleeing prophet. 
When Jonah sulks outside the city, the Lord brings the plant and the worm and the scorching wind to teach Jonah the value of compassion, that I am a sovereign and gracious God. He says, Jonah, should I not be concerned? Uh, commentator Brian Estella says it maybe be better tra- translated, may I not be concerned? Because the verb for pity often, he says, relates to a superior Someone who's in charge who who may or may not have pity or compassion on those over whom he has judgment. Don't I have the right to have pity towards Nineveh? Jonah, you are upset about the loss of the plant and salvation of Nineveh, yet you have no right to decide the fate of either. Do not I, as God, have the right to show compassion on whom I will show compassion? You know, Jonah's problem from the beginning is that he, as someone who has received the benefits of the grace of the covenant, wants to dictate just who receives that mercy. Now, that's a common problem. It seems that we all have something to say to God about who will receive his mercy. Now, today in America, maybe we have the opposite problem. What's the default thinking that, well, maybe God's a mountain and all roads lead to God and some are just a little longer to get there than others, right? But they all eventually will get there. And if that's the air that you breathe in, well, how would you want to dictate God's mercy? Well, God, why don't you save everyone? Why wouldn't you? Why don't you? How could you send many, maybe most people in history to eternal punishment in hell? You might feel the force of those questions. But you cannot tame God. God's the creator, and you are not. He's, he is goodness and love, and he is justice and holiness. And those two aspects of his character fit together in a mystery that is profound and perfect and beyond us. This is hard. Maybe for our society today, is one of the hardest things to accept. That God chooses to only have mercy on some. And yet... Scripture teaches this clearly, and no one more clearly than Jesus. Now, we shouldn't be red-letter Christians. We should be whole Bible Christians. But even if you are a red-letter Christian, you're going to get it even strong, more strongly, because Jesus teaches about hell. Wrapped up in this is God's sovereignty and human responsibility, where we're completely responsible to obey and worship God, and yet we're unable to because of our sinful desires. Like Nineveh, we don't know the right hand from our left. doesn't mean we're innocent. Jonah 1 talks about their evil, very clear, but we have no power to change unless the Lord breaks into our hearts and brings new life. This is a deep mystery. One human response is to say, God, that's not fair. I thought you were love. How can you do that? The Apostle Paul says, who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Romans 9. And here's where Jonah might actually be helpful for us. Because he's coming from the other opposite error. Jonah knows the raw evil of humanity. He's, he's felt it in the past generations. He, he's felt the atrocities of Assyria. He, he knows the wrongness of idolatry. And he says, Lord, what are you thinking? How dare you have mercy on those people? Jonah sees it this way. Lord, how can you as a just God have mercy on truly wicked people? And he has a point there. It's surprising. But Jonah is missing a very important part of the equation. It's not just shocking that, Jonah, that God has mercy on Assyria. It's shocking that God has mercy on anyone. 
It's not as if we are all wonderful people who just needed a little uh, buff up to bring us into a whole relationship with life with God. We're rebels, each one deserving judgment. And even if we run away from God and we do it by you know, being nice, modern, generous, upright people, we're still asserting our rebellion to be apart from God, worshiping ourselves. Perhaps you could say our problem today is that we underestimate God's holiness when we assume that he should save everyone. Jonah's problem is that he underestimated God's mercy when that he assumed that God should save Israel alone. The fact is that the Lord is God. He demands glory from his creatures, whether he demands justice or extends mercy. And you and I do not have the right to tell God how to have that mercy. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 9, as God is speaking to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And it's very important to understand how God is in control when it comes to your salvation. Because you, you know, if you think somewhere deep down the side that, that you have something to do with it, then you can judge God when he extends mercy to other people. You have something to say. You have something to contribute. But when you understand that God has graciously extended his steadfast love to you when you had nothing to offer, what can you do but drop to your knees in worship and adoration and rejoice when God does the same to others around you? Well, God gives Jonah this object lesson to teach him that you cannot tame God. But there's something else going on, too. I want you to see how God pleads with Jonah to change his heart. God pleads with Jonah. Notice the tension here again. God is in control, and yet he pleads with Jonah to make a change. You see God's sovereignty, human responsibility. And you see the Lord pleading with Jonah. Here, Jonah, something's wrong here. What concerns you is not the deliverance of 120,000 people, but your own personal comfort. You're hopping mad over the deliverance of your enemies, but you rejoice like a giddy schoolboy at your own creature comforts. You identify with that? Do you ever view people simply as a means to your comfort or impediment to your comfort? You like them because they make you feel better or dislike them because they inconvenience you? How often do you get mad just because someone cuts into your comfort? God pleads with Jonah, Jonah, you think you deserve my mercy, but you're cutting yourself off from me. Don't you see? One commentator put it this way. I'm just putting God's words here. Jonah, you, you cannot receive my grace unless you have been changed by it. You cannot receive radical mercy without seeing yourself as no better than anyone else. Jonah, you're proud to be an Israelite, and, and rightly so for all the blessings. But remember, Jonah, that your ancestor Abram was a Gentile who did nothing good. He received mercy. He was a pagan who was brought out of that light. You descended from a pagan who needed mercy just like Nineveh did, Jonah. And shouldn't you rather see them as fellow image bearers in need of my grace? And this is God. This is our God. He is mercy in action. Throughout this little book, he's demonstrating steadfast love to undeserving sinners, especially righteous ones like Jonah. Now, he wouldn't be well within his right to strike Jonah down here. There's examples of that in the Old Testament. There's even a story in the discipline of the church, Ananias and Sapphira. God does discipline his people, but you see here his, his movement to seek sinners, 
And where do we see this best of all? God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, the one who rebukes the self-righteous but eats with the sinners and the outcasts. You know, I find it very surprising that several times in Jesus' teaching, he ties himself to Jonah. The Pharisees come to test him and they ask for a sign and he says, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And as I studied Jonah, I'm thinking, really, Jesus, you want to associate your ministry with with Jonah, the, the disobedient and disgruntled prophet who leaves us on a cliffhanger? Well, the Lord says yes. And there are some similarities. Just just like Jonah, Jesus comes and preaches. And, and just like Jonah, it's the Gentiles who respond. And yet also you see how Jesus is very different from Jonah, isn't he? He comes to God in the flesh. He comes to his own peoples, rejected by them. Like Jonah, many Jews in Jesus' time thought their status of Israelites made them worthy of God's mercy and no one else. I deserve this. Many of them were full of sour grace and so... What did Jesus do? He debated with them. He pled with them. He wept over them. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you, yet you would not. Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven. And in return, they killed him. Jesus died so that God in his holiness could extend sweet mercy to all who recognize their need for it, Jew or Gentile. Pastor Tim Keller in his book on Jonah put it this way, Jesus is the better prophet that Jonah should have been. Instead of running from the presence of the Lord, Jesus lived in perfect obedience with the Father. Instead of rooting for Jonah's destruction, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Instead of wanting to die because Nineveh lived, Jesus died so that you could live. And this is God in the flesh. Do you see the God that you serve? I guess a God who will discipline and disciple, but who also pleads and pleads and woos with patient compassion. You serve a God who takes sin so seriously that he put his son to death on the cross for you. And yet because of that, he can pursue you and parent you with steadfast love. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, there's two ways tonight. First of all, how might the Lord be pleading with you tonight? Is, is the Lord pleading with you right now? Are, are, you, are you running away from his presence? Are you stuck and mired in bitterness? Or maybe addicted to some substance, to alcohol, to pornography? Or have you made an idol out of your career, your, your security and retirement, your status in school? Is there something, by worshiping these things, you found yourself running away far from the Lord? Well, see the God that you serve. Turn back. He is full of compassion. Or perhaps, serious but on a different scale, you just realize that your heart has drifted from the Lord this week, not, not in an outward act of disobedience or defiance, but simply neglecting to seek Him. And you realize, yeah, as I came to worship this morning, my heart was cold. I'm I'm drifting. I'm drifting from the presence of the Lord. Turn with him. Turn back to the Lord. He is full of compassion. He pleads with you. See what I have done. I've offered my son for you. Come back. How how does the Lord plead? Through his word, as it's preached, as it's read, as as friends come and and challenge you in your life? I'll say to you, do not wait. The Lord is patient, but you can wait too long. 
The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 2 to, to supposedly righteous Jews, if that's who he's talking to in chapter 2. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Don't keep going along. Eventually, it might be too late. But right now, turn. Listen to the Lord as he pleads for you to come back. Well, not only should we turn to the Lord, but ask you this. Does your heart overflow with compassion for those who need mercy? God's response to Jonah's sin was compassion. And so should ours be. When someone wrongs um, you or their sin rubs against you, what's your first response? What's the first bubbling up from your heart? Is it, is it anger? Is it indignation? A desire for justice? Now, oh, there is a place for that. But it's very easy to jump there without any compassion. And often our, sinful, our anger is not sin, righteous, but sinful. I'm, I'm not angry because you're violating God's law, but because you've hurt me. Because you're affecting me. But you see, as one who has experienced the sweet mercy of God, you must have compassion on others. Now, several weeks ago, I applied Jonah 3 in the morning, saying, parents, you must require obedience, right? God says to Jonah in chapter 1, go. He does the exact opposite. He goes through a whole bunch of discipline. Chapter 3, God says the exact same thing. Go. Jonah eventually obeys, whether he wants to or not. And then the application was, parents, God said Jonah must obey. You must require your children to obey. And that is absolutely true, but there's more to it than that. You must temper your discipline with mercy. Of course you insist on reasonable obedience, but you must also be patient and even plead with your children. Be patient with, with, as someone who has been shown patience. You know, my kids right now are in that state where they make a lot of noise, just in case you were wondering, that, that was mine back there. Um, don't think he wanted to give up his offering dollar. Um, cheerful giver and all that, you know. Um, and I don't know if it's just that they've all gotten noisier and louder, or I just have a little bit less tolerance for noise post-cancer. I'm not sure. But I'm in the other room, and I hear this, Rah! and my first response is, oh, Lord, I'm so grateful to have children. Would they just be quiet? And I get this flash of anger, and I have to repent. Say, okay, what's the godly response? I pray, Lord, you have given me these children to parent, to love, and to discipline. And that... That fighting and that noise over there shows the sinfulness of their heart, and it's honestly bringing out the sinfulness of my own heart. Can I see this as an opportunity to shepherd them? Can I put aside my personal desire for peace and quiet? And can I sacrifice and wade into that noise at my own cost? Lord, how can I lead them into the grace of Jesus? When you experience the compassion of your Father calling you back, it changes you. How can it not? How can it not change the way that you relate to other people when you have received such mercy? It's not just for kids. It could be your siblings, brothers, sisters. <laughs> you're rubbing up against them. It could be an unbelieving coworker who's making your life miserable. It could be your neighbor. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't hold people accountable, but, but that you approach from a position of mercy as someone who has received and understands mercy. And here the book ends. 
It's not a hallmark ending. It's abrupt. It's unsatisfying. Jonah ends with the stubborn prophet camped outside Nineveh, and his last recorded words are, I want to die. You know, many kids actually just leave out Jonah for They don't know what to do with it. Um, you know, Veggie Tales, although I wouldn't recommend their movie for you know, the accuracy of the scripture, they actually nail the, the feeling of Jonah 4 just right. He, uh, in, in the, the prophet has a, two traveling buddies, and he's outside the city. And at the very end, they're leaving, and they're like, we're getting out of here. And he's screaming, and the camera just pans away, and <laughs> the end. The sad part is that we don't know what becomes of Jonah. Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord in the beginning, and at the end, he's still far from him. But you know, the point is not to find out about Jonah, but to ask you, how are you responding to the compassion of your great God? Will you turn to him today? Will, will, as unworthy sinners brought into his presence, will you show others mercy? Will you be a person who is being changed by his sweet mercy? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, you are God. And we, we wrestle with that. Sometimes in our sinfulness, we chafe at that. We, we question, we say, Lord, we don't understand. But we do know is that Jesus came and entered this world and, and died. Something even more unthinkable than any question that we might have. And so we ask that you would Help us to turn to you and give mercy as we receive it. That Jesus would be glorified through us this week as we go and we, we live through difficult relationships and, and problems and work and school and at home. That this gospel of Jesus would not be just something that, like Jonah, we can talk about and, and, and we enjoy at church. But it makes deep inroads into our hearts and our lives and all resounds to your praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.